0: Hi there, welcome to episode number 20 of the Practical EdTech Podcast. In this episode, I'm gonna share a bunch of updates about our favorite Google products, share a cool update from Microsoft, answer a handful of questions from readers and viewers and listeners like you, and share a little surprise that my students gave me in my classroom today. So let's go ahead and jump right into the first part of this episode. So first of all, what's new from Google? Well, they released a whole bunch of new things this week, including smart compose mode for Google documents, creating tours in the web version of Google Earth. You can now add feedback or contact forms to Google sites without having to use a Google form. You can now reuse rubrics in Google Classroom, and you now have the option for adding different page numbers to different sections within Google Docs. So let's take a deeper look at some of these. The Smart Compose mode in Google Documents is a beta product. Your domain does need to sign up to test it out. And what it'll let you do is have your documents kind of auto-filled for you. Much like the Smart Compose Mode in Gmail, Smart Compose Mode in Google Docs will predict what you're trying to write in a sentence. You can hit the tab key and it will fill it in for you. So it could be a time saver or it could be an annoyance depending on your perspective. The new option in Google Earth, the web version of Google Earth, lets you create tours that include videos and pictures within a series of placemarks in google earth and then play it back in a slideshow like format it's not quite as good as the tour creator option that's in the desktop version of google earth but it's a great step forward and here on my youtube channel i do have a tutorial on how to use this new option in google earth Uh, By the way, if you're interested in more ideas on how to use Google Earth and Google Maps in your classroom besides just social studies, I do have a webinar all about how to do that. You can find that at practicaledtech.com on the on demand tab. The new option in Google Sites will let you insert a feedback option in the footer of all the pages in your Google Sites. This is different than using just your google form this will actually let you have a small little pop-up contact button in the bottom of your site the rubric option in google classroom is one that's been available as a beta product since august your domain does have to sign up for it so not everyone has access to it yet i made a video about it when i got access to it a few months ago and tried it out one of my complaints about it and one of the complaints that many people had was that you had to make a new rubric for every single assignment that you gave you couldn't reuse it from assignment to assignment fortunately google has heard that feedback and is now uh, giving that option to people to reuse the rubric and the other option that's new is the option to use Different page numbers for different sections of your Google Doc. What that means for you is that instead of having to have all your pages sequentially listed, you could have section 1, pages 1 through 10, section 2, pages 1 through 10, and so on and so forth. Previously, if you had section 1 and section 2, it would be pages 1 through 10, then pages 11 through 20. Now, you can uh, break it up a little bit differently. Now, the update from Microsoft. Microsoft Forms is one of my favorite Microsoft products. It's a great rival to Google Docs, uh, and now it supports file upload. So you can have a file question, uh, or a file type question in there, where students have to submit a file as a response to the question. One of the things I really like about Microsoft Forms new file upload option you can specify a maximum file size, and you can also specify the type of file that you will accept. This is a little bit better than what Google does, where it doesn't uh, let you specify the type of file that you'll accept. So you can specify both size and file type. Could also be great for collecting things like permission slips from parents. That's cool. My old, my old friend, my old pal, Padlet. Padlet.com, I've been using it for over a decade. I started using it back when it was called Wallwisher. Great tool, still love it. This past week, they added the option to make maps, or multimedia maps, inside Padlet. You use a Google map as the background, basically, and you build your uh, place markers or your notes directly on top of the map. Great Great little tool. I have a video about how to do that right there on my YouTube channel. Uh, Should be one of the first things listed on my YouTube channel right now. Or just do a search for Padlet and you'll find all of my Padlet tutorials right there. NASA has a new game called Rocket Science Ride to Station. Thanks to Larry Fralazzo for the tip about this. It's a game in which students have to control a mission to the space station. Kind of a cool little game. there's a new Chrome extension I tested out this week, and I don't know how to pronounce it correctly. I don't think. It's called Huizo. H-E-W-I-Z-O. Huizo. Huizo. It reads aloud news articles to students or anyone else who wants to use it. Supports 30 languages. Nice little Chrome app. Uh, it'll strip out the ads. It will only read the article. It doesn't read any of the sidebar content. Uh, on a related note, a tool that I used to recommend and used for a long time called Announcify, which did a similar thing, seems to have stopped working. Uh, I went to use it this past week and just flat out wouldn't work. Uh, still, It's still listed in the Chrome extension store or the, the Chrome web app store. Uh, but it doesn't seem to be working at all and it hasn't been updated in a couple of years. So I think Announcify is dead, sorry. Uh, A couple other neat new things I wanna point out, Uh, DocsTeach, docsteach.org, great website for history teachers, has a new section, a new selection of comic books. Uh, So historical comics, if you will. Check that out, great little tool. And one last little thing I want to point, one new thing, although I guess it's technically not new. It's been out since 2018. New to me, I actually learned about it while reading Flyer Talk, of all places. Uh, it's called pie Hole Project. It's a Raspberry Pi project. And what it does is it essentially creates an ad blocker on your network. So as opposed to... Uh, being an ad blocker that you install on your Chrome browser or your Firefox browser, it will actually block ads on your home network for you. Now, the setup of it is not something you're gonna do quickly, but it's kind of a cool project. So if you're looking for something to do with your Raspberry Pi, uh, check it out. It's the Pi Hole Hole Project, P-I, P-I, Hole, Pi Hole Project. And, you know, it does require a little bit of knowledge about Raspberry Pi and requires a little bit of knowledge about DHCP configuration. Uh, But if you're looking for a little project to do at home, you want to block ads on your home network, try it out. So, kind of a cool little thing, I thought I'd just share it out, all right. Now, some thoughts from my classroom, thoughts from the field, if you will. I was out of the classroom for most of the week this week. I had a great sub, very capable sub. Uh, his name is Ryan. He's actually a graduate of the program that I'm teaching right now. He uh, graduated uh, seven or eight years ago. Great student, was a great student. Uh, a great person, great, great guy, uh, an active developer uh, as his full-time job. But he came in to sub for me for the week or most of the week, and he did a great job with all of my students. Uh, Improvised when the plan went uh, a little bit awry. My students were doing some work um, with Arduino. One of my groups are doing some Arduino projects and not all the parts that they needed were available, so he helped helped them improvise. Great, Uh, and many of my students did fantastic. In fact, my freshman did even better than I expected. I came back today and my freshman just for the most part knocked it out of the park on their app development projects so i was really psyched about that you know and of course i still had a couple of kids who chose not to really work on the projects uh, which was frustrating to say the least but overall really really great Uh, you know and i think the difference the last time i was out of the classroom it was an unexpected absence this time was planned Uh, the last time was unexpected i had to call in sick Take care of, one of my take to uh, take care of my kids, but anyway. Uh, now, last time it didn't go so well when I was out. This time it seemed to have gone much, much better. Um, so, and I think the big difference was I kind of forewarned the kids that I was going to be out. All right, now let's jump into what everybody comes here for. I think, and that is questions from readers, listeners, and viewers like you. First question I have came from Chris who wrote, hello Richard, what is the best way to take attendance for clubs or groups that will not be bringing a device with them to the activity? It may be a group working on Steam activities and you want to keep a record of the number of times they come to the meetings. It would be something that they could use an iPad or computer to sign in when they came to the activity. What app or website would help Best with this, it would be for my records, not for office, Chris. So what I recommend to Chris is to use a Microsoft form, a Google form, or even a Jot form, Jotform.com. Any of those three, and create a long check, just a one-question long checklist, and pick it off, and pick them off that way. The nice thing is, all of those will save to a CSV file, or Excel, or Google Sheet, depending on which one you use. Uh, makes it quick and easy way to sign in uh, the other thing you might want to try uh, and I have a, a colleague who did this years ago using clicker cards so clickers.com if you're not familiar with clickers they're these uh, basically fancy QR codes might are laminated uh, you can use them laminated or not and each one is assigned to you assign each one to a student and then you just scan the cards with your phone or tablet Uh, and you could just sign you could just set your tablet or your phone up in a little holder and have kids just swipe their card past the phone or tablet which is essentially acting as a scanner so you could try that that could work as well all right next question came from melissa who wrote i attended one of your conferences at sunday river a few years back i had this dilemma I have a data table in Excel. By the way, this is a long question, so bear with us. I have a data table in Excel. It is a list of New Hampshire cities and towns, approximately 230, and in a second column, we have indicated we have completed standardizing the location data, so that metric is just a yes or no. What I want to do is use a map of New Hampshire that shows all the cities and towns and have them labeled correctly with the city or town name. Merge it with my Excel spreadsheet, so the result would be the city or town would be colored in when the data table shows that standardizing of the data for this is complete, it would be blank white if the data wasn't processed yet. Then at a glance, we could see which municipalities we need to still process. So, uh, and she goes on to say, I tried using GeoChart and Google Sheets, but I can't take this down to the city level. I also have only older versions of Excel. These versions do not offer PowerMap. Is there something else I am missing? So what I wrote to Melissa is that unfortunately, the way that Google Sheets and/or and Excel are going to display this data through the tools that you mentioned is as place markers. and they're not really going to do coloring in of the labels. And what it sounds like is you want to color it, you want to color in the outline or color in the space that each city or town occupies. And that's really kind of beyond the capabilities of most of the tools that are based on um, Google Sheets or Excel, which are really just going to put it on place markers. So what I recommended trying was some of the tools from ArcGIS, uh, Esri. You find it E S R I Esri, Esri. Uh, and their ArcGIS program. They do have a student version that you can test out. Uh, I think it's a 14-day trial or something. I think it's 14-day trial. You uh, test out Esri, use their, uh, some of their online mapping tools. They have the capability to do what you're describing. Uh, really is a full-fledged GIS application. All right, uh, another question here came from Rebecca, who wrote, I'm a longtime follower of your blog, Free Tech for Teachers. Your tips and tricks have enhanced my teaching and practice immensely. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank, thank you for that nice note. I was hoping you could help out with a bit of a dilemma we're having with Google Docs. Currently, we are not a school that uses Google Classroom. This issue would be easy to resolve if we did. And here's the issue. My colleague wants to add comments using the commenting box to a Google Doc that contains links to articles. He would like students to share their thoughts with the entire class by commenting. However, with comments enabled, they're also able to add suggested edits this is causing havoc on the doc as students are adding spaces line edits striking out sentences etc as they attempt to add comments i've searched the google forums and can find many suggestions for how to turn on suggested edits but none for how to turn them off we may have to provide a different way for students to share their thinking thank you very much for your time rebecca so my suggestion to rebecca is exactly what I did with my own history students in the years before Google Classroom existed. I've been using Google Docs with students for 12 years now, wow. Uh, What I did before the days of Google Classroom with scenarios like this, is I would share one copy of the document as view only, and then also share a copy with the commenting enabled. Then I'd have students open both versions in their browser, so they'd have two tabs open, one with the view only option and one with the commenting option. And that way they can read through the view only one and then comment on the one that has commenting enabled. It's not a perfect solution, but it's better than students getting frustrated by people moving things around in the document or inserting spaces where there shouldn't be spaces. So it makes it easier to read because you've got that copy that's view only, then you've got the copy where you're at ed- where you're putting in comments. So you could use that, or if you're really just getting just want students to comment on links and comment on um, you know, articles themselves, you might try Google Keep and have them share book you know and share the bookmarks there and then write comments on that, uh, you know, or add little notes to those. You might also use a, a tool like Digo. Uh, kind of a classic EdTech tool now, Digo, D-I-I-G-O, Digo.com, where you have students all in one group, and then they can write comments on the links that have been shared in there as well. So you try that. All right. Next question came from Anissa, and this one, I got a, bit of little, a little bit of a visual component to it. The question is, how can I manage to create an activity like this? I mean, which software or applications kind of used to insert audio files in such a way, the exercises are found here. And the exercises that she's referring to uh, are kind of a grid of audio files. There's a grid of audio files uh, for an ELT lesson or an ELL lesson, and they're all in a, well, they're in a grid. So they're in that grid and my suggestion was to use either powerpoint keynote or now you can do it in google slides because google slides now supports audio for most people uh, and create that grid and insert the audio files into each individual link uh, and in this case here she also has a pdf uh, that gets downloaded as well uh, so you can do that sort of that sort of activity, and if you want to collect audio from students, well, then you could collect audio using again Microsoft Forms or Google Forms or Jot Forms, any of those three, uh, where you can then have students turn in an audio file that they've created. There's that. All right, uh, next question came from Susan, and Susan asked, uh, Oh, there, uh, hold on, there it is. Susan asked, I've been tasked with creating a STEM lab in our library. I've heard you talking about your students doing some Arduino projects. I, I talked about them earlier in this podcast. In looking through the project hub, I'm a bit overwhelmed by the options. Can you make some suggestions on what I should look for? Thanks for any guidance you can give me, Susan. Uh, by project hub, I'm assuming Susan, I assumed that Susan was referring to the Arduino project hub, which you'll find at Arduino dot CC. I'm sorry create.arduino.cc slash project hub. Anyway, in there, yes, it could be a little bit overwhelming. If you have not done any Arduino stuff in the past, you may find that the Arduino stuff, uh, the Arduino project hub is overwhelming because you're not sure exactly what to look for. So my suggestion for Susan and for anyone else who's getting started with Arduino is to take a look at some of the the, uh, projects, Some of the products that are basically little kits. Uh, You know, things like Elegoo, E-L-E-G-O-O.com. Elegoo.com, those are the ones that I primarily use. I've also used the SparkFun ones, but the Elegoo ones are a little bit more affordable. Uh, And those kits will give you, you know, four or five things you can do with Arduino. Start with that. Some of those four or five, like kind of concrete things, where you know you're going to have all the parts provided by the, you know, by the kit. The kit will, you know, walk you through. You know, will sh- give you all the things you need. Depending on the kit, you may even find a CD-ROM, or you'll find CD-ROM with <laughs> CD. Who has a CD anymore? Uh, you'll find a, a corresponding website where there's clear guidance on it that's a good place to start you know get those four or five kind of canned projects under your belt and then move on to okay now that i understand the basics of this i've got four or five projects under my belt now we'll start looking at okay i'm going to mix and match parts from different kits or i'm going to look at the project hub and know okay yeah i can do that i can handle this Uh, so that's where i would start with that you know just get one of the kits they're not terribly expensive i've got one right on my desk over here I have the Eligu Super Starter kit, which I paid about $35 for. I have it right over there on my bookshelf, I should say, not my desk. Uh, that's a good one to start with. Uh, we have the Mega One in my class. We have the Mega ones in my classroom. Mega, and then there's a uh, we have a couple of supers. We have SparkFun ones, but you know, don't spend a ton. Uh, get one of the kits, you know, spend $35. Get one of the kits. You'll get four or five projects out of it give it a shot. And then uh, once you've got that under your belt, you move on, then the project hub itself might make a little bit more sense. All right. And our last question came from Larry, who just emailed me this afternoon. Richard, I hope that this email finds you well. I'm doing well. Thanks, Larry. I am looking to get some direction on an activity I'm planning to do with my fifth graders. I have taught them to build powerpoints but i'm looking for other multimedia tools to teach i'm going to use prezi and adobe spark do you have any others you would recommend i'm not exactly sure what your project is larry but i will say this Uh, i love google earth Uh, i think that google earth is often looked at as just being a tool for social studies and it really isn't i mean it is but it isn't. You can use it for all kinds of things. You can use it for language arts lessons where your students map out stories. Uh, you can use it for language arts lessons where they map out the biographies of authors. You can use it in math classes. Uh, Tom Barrett's Maths Maps is a great website for that. Uh, you can use it in science lessons for having students identify various uh, features of the earth. Uh, you know, If you have the full-fledged Google Earth, the the Google Earth Pro, which is uh, free, but it runs on your desktop, there's all kinds of science layers and uh, views you can use. You can do tons of storytelling with Google Earth, and with Google Earth, both the desktop version and the web browser version, you could insert some videos that your students have made. So if you're already using Adobe Spark and your kids are making videos, uh, upload those videos to Google Drive, and then boom—you can insert insert them into the placemarks in Google Earth, uh, or upload them to YouTube, and then insert them into Google Earth. Uh, so I would say try get familiar with Google Earth. Uh, that's my that's my next step for you, Larry. That's what I would do. Yeah. And yes, fifth graders can totally and fifth graders can totally do that. All right. So now for the shameless commerce division of my life thanksgiving is right around the corner here in the u.s we've uh, six days away till thanksgiving and like everybody who sells anything i'm gonna have a thanksgiving black friday slash cyber monday sale at practicaledtech.com slash online on demand pd <laughs> so just go to practicaledtech.com click on the on demand pd i'm gonna have eight webinars available in one big bundle at more than 50% off. Uh, So check that out. Uh, You'll also be able to purchase individual copies of webinars at 40% off. So if you want to get all of them in one fell swoop, one big bundle, more than 50% off, Uh, if you want to get just one of them, knock off 40% for you. So check that out. That will be live on Monday. That'll be live on monday and run through the following monday so check that out that's the shameless commerce division of my life thank you for for that little uh plagiarized wine i just used from cartalk.com uh click and clap the tapper brothers and on that note if you have any questions for me about anything that i do or you have feedback for me or you have Just, you're looking for an online friend. (laughs) I don't know. Send me an email. My email address is richard at burn.media. I love getting questions from readers and I do try to respond to every single one of them as quickly as I can. Bear in mind, I'm teaching full time. So, uh, you know, may not be super speedy all the time, but I do try to respond to every single one of the emails that I get. And it's just me. a one-man show. All right. Have a great weekend, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, tell a friend. Bye-bye.